You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia from the studios of Melbourne, stu- Melbourne radio station 3CR, broadcasting across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana, I'm hosting today's program. If during the course of the program you're called away for any reason, don't despair. The program is podcast. It'll be podcast within the next 24 to 48 hours. You'll be able to access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Many, well, most of the Anarchist World This Week programs have been podcast, so you can listen to them at your leisure, especially during the COVID-19 restriction phase when activity is minimal. So... I'm annoyed. I don't sound annoyed, do I? But before I go into that, let's talk about did the world, did the earth move for you? Did the earth move for you? About a half an hour before I began broadcasting here in the studios of Community Radio 3CR, phone calls began and SMSs and posts began appearing about the earth shaking. It looks like there's been an earth tremor all the way from Tasmania to northern New South Wales, and um, it seems that there was a Category 6... No, don't don't despair. There was a Category 6 earthquake, 10 kilometres, 10 kilometres under the earth. And now, if it would have been 1 kilometre or 500 uh, metres, the situation would have been catastrophic. But as luck has it, because we're not uh, in a... Uh, recognised earthquake zone like our friends in New Zealand. It was 10 kilometres under the earth. Now, there may have been some damage. There may not. I'm not, I'm not aware of any major damage. But if, in our, if any of our listeners are concerned, uh, it's currently over. Um, I don't know about aftershocks, but it was uh, quite minor compared to what a lot of people have to face uh, every day of their lives who... Uh, living earthquake zones where uh, the earth is much more unstable than it is here. So uh, on top of COVID-19 and on top of uh, the brown shirts, well, it's an interesting world we live in. There's an old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times and looks like we are living in those times. Now, why am I annoyed? But before I go into that, I I better describe what anarchism is. Anarchism is a political, intellectual, philosophical, ideological, 
political, social, cultural movement which is based on the concept of people living their lives without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. It is a long history both in Western Europe, in Asia, Africa and many parts of the world. It is a very long, proud history and proud tradition. It is based on the concept of sharing power and sharing wealth because inequalities in wealth and power which give authorities the ability to dictate the lives of billions of people, not just now but since time immemorial. And the anarchist struggle has been a constant feature of human struggle through different civilizations for hundreds of generations. So when I hear somebody in a position of authority, like Mr Tim Pallas, the Victorian Minister for Economic Development and Industrial Relations, a former Deputy Secretary of the ACTU, a member of the Victoria a senior member of the Victorian Parliament, describe the people who are involved in the anti-vaccination protests in Melbourne on the 21st September this year, that's yesterday, has an anarchist rabble, the hair on my back rises. And I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you the historical context, because obviously there are a lot of ignorant stupid morons on the face of the earth who don't really understand anything, let alone their own history. And I'll tell you why I'm angry. I'm angry because tens of thousands of anarchists and anarchist sympathisers and supporters have died during the 20th century Resisting fascism, resisting right-wing extremism. And in Melbourne and in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, it was the anarchists, and it continues to be the anarchists who are at the forefront of the anti-fascist and the anti-extremist, right-wing extremist struggle. For decades, the anarchist movement in this state and in this city has been involved in activities which have put activists in the firing line of right-wing extremists by monitoring their activities, by organising demonstrations whenever they organise demonstrations on the streets. So to describe the quasi-brown shirts on Melbourne's streets over the last few days as anarchists, is an insult to everybody who, as one, has made the ultimate sacrifice fighting fascism and, two, to those activists, especially in Melbourne, who have put their life on the line fighting the growth of right-wing extremism in this country. So for Tim Pallas, a senior cabinet minister, to think he can go around 
talking about right-wing extremism and anti-vaxxers as an anarchist rabble is not only an insult to us, it's also an insult to the rabbles who I'm sure would hate to be identified with the very movement which has been keeping tabs on them and keeping them in line for so long in this city. So Mr Palace, the member for Werribee in the Legislative Assembly, I demand an apology. And if an apology is not forthcoming, I will be doing everything in my power and mobilising what few forces I'm able to mobilise in order to unseat you at the next state election. And if you think you are in a safe Labor seat in Werribee, think again. At the last state election almost three years ago, a very popular obstetrician who's worked all his life in Werribee, who's devoted his life to the people of Werribee, was able to obtain 19% of the primary vote as an independent. So think about it, Mr Pallas. Think about it. Apologise. Be a bigger man than you are and apologise for equating us with that rabble, with those brown shirts on the streets of Melbourne, when for the last two decades, despite despite being derided by the mainstream, or well, by the alternative media, I call them the alternative media, not the mainstream, the corporate-dominated media in the government guild at ABC, and treated as morons because we have been involved in that struggle for over two decades, warning people of the dangers of this type of movement. And it's only in the last few years that authorities have begun to understand the nature of this cancer which is spreading through society. You're listening to The Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And why do I describe them as brown shirts? And I'll tell you why. Look, I don't care if they're anti-vaxxers. I don't care if they're right-wing extremists. I don't care who are, you know, construction workers who think they're entitled to do what they like. I don't care if they're people who talk about freedom. The reality is that what we are seeing is the growth of a movement which will increase inequality in this country. And that's my concern. And that is my major concern. And why do I describe them as brown shirts? Because... These people have not come out of nowhere. They are the creation, as we saw in the US of A, they are the creation of the Murdoch-dominated media in this country. They are the creation of the Liberal opposition in Victoria. They are the creation of the Liberal National Coalition, which is currently in power in Canberra, which dog whistles on a daily basis it's in its campaigns to destroy trade unions and its campaigns to rip up any improvements that have been made 
by the blood sacrifice of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents in this country. They are the benefactors of this rag-tag brown shirt group. Not an army, but a brown shout group. And I equate them to the German brown shirts because they do they have exactly the same function to promote inequality in our society. So think about it. Has the Prime Minister come out in condemnation? No. Has the acting Prime Minister, Mr Barnaby, you know, Joyce, come out in condemnation? No. We saw Mr Matthew Guy come out trying to stir the pot. And then we saw the Cabinet Minister, Mr Suka, a Melbourne representative, get up and down and try to take advantage of the situation. These people, these movements have not been created in a vacuum. They are the direct result of the Murdoch-dominated media, the Liberal Party opposition and the coalition government. And when it comes to pointing the finger and highlighting the growth of these movements, it is directly related to the fact that they are the natural allies of conservative and reactionaries in this country, in and out of Parliament. These are the bother boys, the brown shirts of the IPA. These are the product of that consistent propaganda which is based on deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation, and the list goes on and on, and privatisation. So how do we look at these things? Because, you see, I remember a song by Janis Joplin. Yeah, not that I know much about music or pretended to know anything about music, but there, I remember when she said, freedom is another word when you've got nothing else to say. So the word freedom is currently being bandied about. These are freedom rallies. Now, currently, we have allowed these people to dominate the streets. There is a vacuum in the streets in this country because of COVID-19 restrictions. But people like me are getting very, 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 very toey. And I'll tell you why. Because allowing them to dominate the streets allows their ideology to grow at our expense. Most people I know who, have, who are activists, radical egalitarian activists, whatever they like to call themselves, have followed the Chief Health Officer's directions, because they understand a number of things. They understand that COVID-19 is real. They understand that quarantine, when there was no vaccination or treatment, was the only way to deal with the situation. They're happy to accept science, as with climate change, which nobody else was happy to do for decades until it started to impinge on their bottom line. So the reality is that when people talk about freedom, you need to analyse the situation. Freedom. 
And the way I break it down, and I advise you to look at things, is freedom to, freedom from. They're the basic differences. Freedom to, freedom from. Freedom to infect other people by not wearing masks. Freedom to put other people at risk by refusing to be vaccinated for the most spurious reasons. Freedom to disseminate whatever whatever shit you like to disseminate, no matter how hurtful, nasty, evil it is. Freedom for yourself. What's the anarchist struggle? What is the struggle of people like us, radicals, even if they call call them socialists or activists or feminists or whatever they call themselves, environmentalists? What's our struggle? It's freedom from. We fight for freedom from exploitation. We fight for freedom to access this country's resources. We fight for the freedom to live in a secure environment, not have to worry about the brown shirts of the world. And the list goes on and on. So it's freedom from, freedom to. So when you see these freedom marches, it's freedom to, not freedom from. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to have seen the same number of people, was it 2,000 yesterday, I've forgotten what it is, marching for West Papua independence, or if they're not interested in things overseas, maybe public housing, or freedom to guarantee that 700,000 young children don't have to live in poverty, or freedom not to be hounded by the Social Security Department for minor debts or freedom to have a roof over your head or freedom to have the same privileges as somebody going to a private school or the freedom not to have to worry about where the next meal is coming from or the freedom of not having having a universal basic income to ensure that people can uh, survive and escape from difficult situations because their income is guaranteed because they exist. And the list goes on and on. Extraordinary. Currently, there is a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum and anarchists abhor a vacuum on the streets. And that vacuum has occurred because radical activists in this country who are fighting for freedom from, not freedom to, have to a significant degree obeyed chief medical officers' decrees in every state in this country because they see that by doing this, this is the best way to try to minimise, not eradicate, but to minimise the damage that's occurring through COVID-19. Obviously, there are damage from lockdowns and restrictions. And as far as my position on mandating vaccinations is concerned, well, my own personal position is very clear, and I've stated it again on this program, 
I think that everybody who is involved in the healthcare industry, and it is an industry, and I've been involved in this industry for 45 years, if you're looking after sick people or people who are vulnerable, well, the least you can do to show a bit of respect is to ensure you don't infect people and get vaccinated. If you don't want to be vaccinated, fine, but get out of the industry. As far as other industries are concerned, I don't think uh, mandatory vaccination is necessary. Now, governments may want to go down that path, but there will be resistance. Because ultimately, it's not me or government or you that's going to force people into vaccination. It's reality. COVID-19 is unpleasant. It is a very unpleasant disease. And it only kills people, which happens every day. But what it does in 10 to 12% is it has a lingering effect which can last years. That's right. Lingering effect which can last years. So all those people who can't get vaccinated, that's fine. But those people who decide not to be vaccinated, well, as the vaccination numbers increase, COVID-19 will deal with them. Because it will be a pandemic, as it already is, to a significant degree, of the unvaccinated. Unfortunately, today, on the 22nd of September 2021, many, many, many Australians, many, many people living on this continent have been denied access to vaccines because of the federal government's total incompetence. Total incompetence. So if you want to blame anybody, I suggest you blame them. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Tosco. I'm hosting today's program. Now let's go on to more important matters. Yes, there are more important matters. And the most important matter which I was going to lead the program with, but I thought we needed to set the record straight regarding what's happening in Melbourne today and the rest of Australia. But the most important thing is what the coalition government has done over the past few weeks. It has signed us up to a contract as far as the nuclear submarines are concerned, which now put Australia in the firing line as far as any war between us and China. It has specifically put all the people in northern Australia at a much greater risk than they should face because we have now become because of the federal government's alliance, we have now become the proxy for the war between China and the USA for dominance in this region. We are the proxy battlefield. If you remember the good old days, in inverted commas, when the Russians and Americans faced off around the world... We saw what happened in these proxy battlefields, whether it was in Angola, Mozambique, 
all the former colonies, where there were horrendous civil wars, Vietnam, horrendous wars, Afghanistan, horrendous wars, which were conducted in that race for dominance. And what Morrison and the coalition government has done is they've basically signed our death warrant. I know it sounds melodramatic, but that's the reality. That is the reality. And it's based on the old concept of the yellow peril and the populate or perish syndrome, which has always been at the heart of this country being a European enclave in a so-called hostile Asian world. If you want to put it in simple terms, what Mr Morrison has basically done is basically attached a tugboat to the continent of Australia to pull it up into the Northern Hemisphere next to the US of A. So what we're going to see as a result of this contract what we're going to see is this country become a base for nuclear submarines from the USA we will see an increase in the number of USA controlled bases in this country we will see over the past next 12 to 24 months an increase in the number of US troops which will be stationed in Northern Australia. And what do you think our neighbours will think about it? Well, already Indonesia and Malaysia are complaining the fact that we've now entered a new arms race in this region. And Mr Morrison, these coalition government and uh, the ALP, to a lesser degree, talk about Chinese influence in the Indo-Pacific. Well, why is there so much Chinese influence in Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, East or Timor-Leste and many other places in, this, in the Indo-Pacific? It's very simple. Because Australia continues to push a pro-coal agenda, which means that these countries at a greater risk of increasing sea levels because of climate change and it has dramatically decreased its intervention in these countries with economic assistance. Now most of these countries are not able to survive on their own two feet economically because of the nature of the environment they find themselves in. So who do they turn to for economic assistance? through loans, the Chinese government. So we, take, so we think that the way to ensure our security on this planet is by going all the way of Mr Biden, all the way of the United States government, not understanding that our security is... Dependent, our security is dependent on our relationship with our neighbours, especially those in the Indo Pacific. 
Think about it. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. All right, let's move on to our region. West Papua and Rent Collective. Look, I've been pleased with the response, the call-out we've made for the West Papua and Rent Collective. We're about a third of the way there. We've picked up seven to eight new members uh, in the last week. As I said before, we needed 20 members in order to keep the Rent Collective viable and keep the office open in uh, Collins Street, um, 838 Collins Street for the West Papua Independence Movement. Now, I'll go through what the West Papua Rent Collective is all about. It's very simple. Now, as far as West Papua Independence Movement is concerned, they've got very few friends, very few friends. No friends in the Australian government, no friends in the Australian opposition, friends in the Greens, very few friends overseas. They're currently being pushed out through mass migrations from other parts of Indonesia, from traditional lands. Their leaders languish in jail. 248 people were shot dead last year in West Papua by the Indonesian authorities. Military bases are increasing across West Papua. So the very least we can do in this country as activists is support their independence struggle. And it's not us, it's not up to me or you or any other member of the West Papua Rent Collective to tell them how to conduct their independence struggle. That's their independence struggle. But what we can do is provide the financial support to fund a de facto embassy for the transitional government that's been formed in West Papua in order to give them the ability to conduct their struggle, especially their struggle to achieve recognition and be placed on the United Nations decolonisation program. It's very simple. It's a dollar a day. You can pay in one lump sum, or you can pay monthly, or you can pay weekly, whatever you like. We don't keep any records. You can do it anonymously. I'm happy to send you out the uh, the information. Uh, it's on an honour system. Nobody hounds you. Nobody asks you. If you can't do it one month, you can't do it. That's life. But this is the seventh year that the office has now been in existence. It's been a great support for the West Papua Independence Movement and those of you who are involved in the Zoom hookup with West Papua and the transitional Prime Minister on the 19th, uh, that's the last Sunday, will understand the importance the office plays. So I'm encouraging you to join, you know, it's up to you, a dollar a day. Unfortunately, we don't get the rich and famous donating to the West Papua Rent Collective. If we did, we didn't, wouldn't have to worry about it for 10 years, the rent, would we? Like maybe buy them an office. We don't get the rich and famous. What we get is people like you, people on, you know, government support, 
disability support pensions, old age pensions, people who are trying to live off superannuation benefits, poorly paid workers. I hardly ever see anybody who uh, is earning more than a hundred grand a year. You know, just doesn't seem to happen. Don't know why, but that's the reality. So if you want to join, there's a number of ways. You can go to their website, DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, Federal Republic of West Papua. The details are there. If you don't want to do that, you can contact me directly on 0439 395489, 0439 395489. You can go to info at pipsy.net, send me an email, info at pipsy.net, or you can post a request to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. So thanks to the uh, new members that have joined up in the past week. We're nearly there, another 13, and uh, we're going to assure the West Papua office viability for another 12 months. Let's move on. Now, you know that we usually organise an extravaganza in Ballarat for Eureka Day on the 3rd of December. Now, obviously, with all the current restrictions, who knows what restrictions will be in place on the 3rd of December. We're hoping to have a modified uh, commemoration on that day. But what I'd like to talk about today is the Eureka flag and its strange bedfellows because, see, a lot of people, it's like Mr Pallas. A lot of people don't know their past. They don't know their history. They can't be bothered finding out, whether they're cabinet ministers or just people, you know, out in the street. They can't be bothered, you know. History starts today as far as they're concerned. What happened yesterday is irrelevant. Obviously what happened yesterday has a profound bearing on what's going to happen today and what's going to happen the day after. So the Eureka flag. I just want to make a few points. Now the Eureka flag was the flag of the Ballarat Reform League. It was first hoisted on a flagpole at Bakery Hill in Ballarat on the 11th of November, 1854. And the Eureka flag came about because people lived in tent cities. And it's quite, you know, most things that happen in life are practically related. And if you live in a tent city of twenty five to 30,000 people, as they did, it's very difficult to know where the doctor is, you know, where the baker is, where the theatre is. And all these establishments had flags which basically noted what they did. Now, when the Ballarat Reform League was formed on the 11th of... was officially formed on the 11th of November 1854, they didn't have a flag. Now, obviously, because they're resisting the British authorities, they're not going to use the British flag, are they? So what they did is they designed their own flag. And why the Eureka flag? Well, it's very simple. Why the Southern Cross? Well, 90% of the people in Ballarat were immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, fortune hunters, immigrants. And they came from the Northern Hemisphere where there was the Californian gold fields, the failed revolutionary upheavals uh, in 1848 across Europe, the, the failed Chartist movement in England. These were refugees. And when you're camping out in a tent city on the 11th of November 1854, in 1854, late 1854, trying to win Tatslotto by uh, digging up some gold in your backyard. The reality is that there isn't much you can do for entertainment. So you're basically lying there in your swag or outside your tent and you're looking up in the sky and what do you see? The Southern Cross. 
Now, the Southern Cross was very important because you cannot see the Southern Cross in the Northern Hemisphere. So when they looked up in the sky, they could actually see the Southern Cross and this reminded them they'd made this huge transition from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere and this was their new home. It was only natural they used the Southern Cross on their flag. And the Southern Cross and the Ballarat Reform League Charter, which was about democratic principles, and you can look it up on any website, Ballarat Reform League Charter, and I'll talk about it in length in another day, but not today, was about four pages handwritten. It was the charter which was endorsed by over half of the 25,000 people living in Ballarat on the 11th of November 1854 at a great mass meeting or monster meeting as they were called at Bakery Hill. Now it's interesting, the much maligned CFMEU is a direct relative of the deregistered Builders Labourers Federation which was, let's not forget was deregistered by the Kane Junior Labour government. And a much maligned BLF put black bands, put black-green bands on Bakery Hill when they learnt that the whole of Bakery Hill was going to be covered by a McDonald franchise in the 70s. And that little bit of Bakery Hill that's still left as a roundabout for a few roses planted and a uh, flagpole to denote where the Southern Cross was first hauled up is there because of the much-derided CFMEU. That's the issue. So the Eureka flag. It's an interesting flag. And if you want to know what it means, you need to look at the history and you need to look at the Ballarat Reform League Charter. But I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Over the last two to three decades, and even over the last few weeks, we've seen two groups which have adopted, or sections of these groups, have adopted the Eureka flag as a symbol of their opposition. The, Bal- the Eureka flag was not an opposition flag. It was, a, it was a flag which denoted a new society three of the inequalities and restrictions of the old order in the Northern Hemisphere. It wasn't just an opposition flag. It wasn't a, it's not a Confederate flag. It's not an opposition flag. So what we've seen is the neo-Nazis and right-wingers, you know, take on the Eureka flag as the flag of Australian nationalism and the flag of white supremacy. We've now got the ridiculous situation where sections of our migrant community and even the indigenous community think of the Eureka flag as a racist flag. Now, historically, the Eureka rebellion was a multicultural revolution. It was a multicultural revolution, first and foremost. There were people of all colours, all religious persuasions from every corner of the world who fought in the Eureka Rebellion. And if you go to the old Ballarat Cemetery and look at the common grave where the half of the Eureka rebels who had died on the 3rd of December are buried, you will see names that come from around the world. Of the 13 
men who were arrested and charged with high treason and acquitted by a jury of their peers between February and May 1855, two were black Americans. The first man tried was John Joseph, a freed black American, Afro-American slave from New York who'd come to the goldfields to seek his fortune. And he was accused of shooting, wounding and then killing Captain Wise, the deputy commander of the British forces which stormed the Eureka Stockade. And he was the first man tried. And when he was found not guilty, he was chaired through the streets of Melbourne by over 25,000 people who'd come to the Supreme Court to ensure there was a fair trial. The other black man was a gentleman from Kingston, Jamaica. Mr. Sorison was a Jew. And if you go to the mass grave in the old Ballarat Cemetery, Edward Fonan from Prussia, East Prussia, was a Jew. So to the think that the Eureka flag somehow is some type of racist symbol is ludicrous. So it's important that people like you and me defend what that flag stands for. Not the flag, but what it stands for. Recently, in the last few weeks, we have seen people involved in the anti-quarantine, anti-vaccination struggle, sections, take on the Eureka flag as a symbol of their struggle. Now, if there's anybody who realised the importance of quarantine, it's the Eureka rebels. On the long sea voyage to Melbourne, people would have died in those sailing ships from typhoid, from dysentery, from cholera, from smallpox, and the list goes on and on. Men, women and children. And when they reach the outskirts of Melbourne, the sick were basically left at the quarantine station at the heads there at Portsea to die or get better. And when they got to Ballarat, it's no accident that the only people who were not required to buy a mining licence from the government of the day were doctors. Because doctors were much needed on the goldfields, not just because of accidents, but because of communicable diseases. So if there's one group who understood the value of quarantine, it would have been the Eureka rebels, and they would be turning their graves to see people who are deny, deny the value of quarantine and vaccination, use the Eureka flag as a symbol of their rebellion. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week. On the, brought to you by 3CR via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. So it's interesting, isn't it? Interesting. There are so many issues we could be talking about and people get involved in. I've been as an activist for 50 years and it's becoming ever increasingly difficult to organise people regarding real issues. Increasingly difficult. As I said before, we are still getting applications to join public interests before corporate interests. It's a trickle. 
but every week one or two new members are joining, much slower than we would like, but that's life. And if you want to join, go to info at pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, info at pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, and um, download the application form, or you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. That number, 0439395489. Now, I don't automatically answer the phone, just leave a message. I get tons of SMSs and messages every day. I don't answer all of them. A lot of it's garbage. A lot of it's interesting, a lot of it's garbage. But if you really want some information, leave a message in a contact point and I'll get back to you within 24 hours. So, these are the things I think about. 700 to a million children living in poverty in this great land. No real discussion about treaty or treaties with this country's First Nations people. the fattening of billionaires through the exploitation of resources which should be shared by everybody in this country. And as if these billionaires are the new heroes and heroines, the Clive Palmers of the world, the Gina Reinhardt of the world, the Twiggies of the world, and the list goes on and on. You know, as if somehow the fact they've got a licence to exploit this country's natural resources and push back a little bit in taxation revenue in a few wages and fatten themselves up financially, has anything to do, you know, it makes them great human beings. Think about it. And all these so-called philanthropical trusts they set up, maybe if they paid a reasonable amount of tax, we wouldn't need to set up philanthropic trusts, which are used to, you know, ensure their names live on for eternity, like the Bond University, which continues to hold that name, and the Murdoch Children's Institute, and the list goes on and on. The list goes on and on. So there are many things. But one important thing is that property prices are now beginning to become a political problem, not just for governments in Australia, but governments around the Western world and in China. That's right, China too. Property prices have boomed because we have allowed the private sector to dominate the marketplace and in states like especially Victoria, governments of all political hues have done everything they can to destroy the public housing sector and create a private housing sector which then provides low-cost accommodation to people who need accommodation. But the problem has got so worse over the COVID-19 pandemic that interest rates are so low, investors have been able to gobble up most of this money and push it into the real estate market and artificially elevate prices, make extraordinary profits and then move out of the market. So property prices are becoming a political problem because there are generations of Australians, irrespective of how hard they work, irrespective if they're a couple and both, you know, push their money into buying a new home, they will not be 
able to buy a new home. That's right. They will not be able to buy a new home. No way. No way. And the thing about renting, it's the insecurity. It's the fact that your children may not be able to go to the same school or have the same group of friends that you've got to move every two or three years because the property's been sold or the owner wants to move back in or the owner's family wants to move back in. So wouldn't it be nice to see all those people out in the streets today out there in a campaign for public housing? I mean, we're lucky to scrape up a, a dozen people to stand on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House when we could. Lucky on the question of promoting public housing. But that's the, the way it is today. We see so much energy and anger be directed into areas which are of minimal concern. Well, anger that should be directed at the growing inequalities in this country seems to have dissipated, disappeared. The trade unions have been legislated out of existence and most people are so busy paying paying the rent and mortgages, especially during the COVID-19 lockdowns, that there is no energy for anything else but survival. But this is coming to an end. It will come to an end within the next four to six months. It will come to an end. The same issues will be there. The same issues regarding a universal basic income. The same issues regarding property prices. The same issues regarding centralisation of power. The same issues, as we've seen on the streets, increasing police power and the same issues that have been around for 20 years and it would have been lovely to have seen all these people on the streets yesterday to have been around 20 years ago to be involved in that struggle when legislation after legislation after legislation after legislation was passed through federal parliament 84 different pieces of legislation which restrict us of any so-called rights we have we have no rights you know that i know that you listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. Now, Evergrande. Ever heard of Evergrande? You see, we live in a connected world, COVID-19 or no COVID-19 financially. You press a button and $2 billion appears on the other side of the world instantaneously. Now, the Chinese Communist Party has an interesting philosophy. They have a, they've had a change in philosophy, which people really haven't noticed. And the change in philosophy is they are no longer willing to accept unbridled capitalism. They're no longer willing to accept the growth and growth and growth of institutions which may challenge their power. The Chinese Communist Party is interested in one thing after it celebrated its 100th anniversary, maintaining its control in China. And any organisation that becomes a bit too big for its boots gets whittled down to size. 
It's not like Facebook and Google, which grow bigger and bigger, but they get whittled down to side. And currently, a lot of money has gone into real estate speculation in China. A lot of money. And a lot of corporations have made their fortunes through real estate corporations. But unfortunately, one of the biggest ever grand is now on the brink of collapse. And everybody's going to say, oh, the Chinese Communist Party is going to save them. Well, it's not. It wants to send a message to other corporations in China that have grown too big for their boots as far as they're concerned. And it will let them collapse. So what's that got to do with Australia? Very simply, you may have noticed that the iron ore prices have plummeted from about $150 a tonne to 100 and some people say it'll go down to 70 and maybe even 60 And why is that? Because 30 to 40% of iron ore imports from Australia into China go into an overheated housing market. Now, the, obviously, the Chinese Communist Party, seeing the change in the rhetoric as far as Australia is concerned, does not want to be dependent on iron ore supplies from Australia. So it's more than happy to see the collapse of Evergrande and the collapse of the housing bubble in China. And that has profound implications, not just for the billionaires, but for all Australians, because to a significant degree, the Australian government has been relying on inflated iron ore prices to provide services to this country. And that's why it has been able to be so friendly to the corporate sector. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. I do a presentation every week. You may agree with it, you may not, but at least it'll get you thinking. And that's what this program is all about. Whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. What matters at the end of the day is you start thinking critically. You can leave messages, and the key word is leave messages on 0439 395 0439 395 You can email me at info at anarchistage@yahoo.com or info at pibci.net. Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. Many other things out there you can go to. The important thing is use your brain, use your brain, and then make up your mind. Don't be swayed by people who have no idea about what they're talking about and don't be swayed by the rich and powerful because ultimately power in a democratic society, lies in the hands of the people. Not the state, not the government of the day, not the corporate sector, but the people. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events.
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace, a treaty means equality, and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377.